You're listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. Visit us at mashthosebuttons.com. It is episode number 108 of Push the Point. It is crazy to hear my voice. I'm sure you're like, wait, this isn't Ramsey starting the episode off. What's going on? Well, he's out of town. It's Labosco here, and I am going to be joined special this week by LaFon, the one, the only. So, LaFon, first off, thanks for coming on for Push the Point this week. Thanks for having me. It's good to, uh, it's always good to talk shop, especially here in Overwatch land. So, I'm excited to be here. We have a lot that we're going to be talking about this week, but always remember that you can follow us on social media at Pushpoint POD. That'll keep you up to date with all the news about the show. Uh, Also, please don't forget, if you would like, please give us a review. It definitely helps us out in the algorithm and everything else. So please, please do that. But welcome again, LaFon. First off, let the people who may not know who you are, let who you you are. Well, um, I am LaFon. I'm a longtime caster in Overwatch, as well as a couple of other uh, esports here and there. But primarily Overwatch, I have done coverage for contenders um, and uh, other uh, competitive circuits within Overwatch, primarily uh, in the South American, Chinese, and Korean regions. Um, So that's kind of my claim to fame, so to speak. And, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to Overwatch, I've spent more time than nearly anybody when it comes to this uh, this game here that we uh, that we have so much fun with at Lafon H to follow him on Twitter as well. A good follow always posts some really great stuff. And by the way, what days are you going to be doing Contenders China since you were just talking about contenders and we've got our broadcast coming up? Yeah, well, we've got the uh, season ending playoffs coming up. So I'll be class. Ca- excuse me. I'll be casting the 21st. And I believe the 22nd as well. I have to double check the schedule. But I mean, even if I'm not on the show, you should always tune in to Contenders and Tier 2. It's a a great scene to be a part of. Yep. So tomorrow through, I forget what day the finals is for China this week, but it's it's kind of throughout this week leading into Overwatch League, basically. So be sure to tune into our broadcast. I get to do Tuesday, which I think is the 22nd, right? Because, yeah, because Monday's the 24th. Yeah, so 22nd is the day that I'll be on there with Thibbledork. So be sure to tune into that day too. But we're not here to talk about that. We've got Overwatch League news. Actually, a lot here during the the off week that we had for the teams. Um, not, not a bunch of team news. There was a couple of stories. The first of which we're going to talk about is about the Chengdu Hunters and Tyro Cookie getting promoted to the Hunters lineup. And then uh, Kaneki being de- demoted to Team Chaser. So that's the the big player news that's come out this week. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one to talk about, um, Labosco, because I think anyone who's looked at the Chengdu Hunters rosters, right, knows that it's a 12-man roster, right? And this is not mm-hmm. changing that. Uh, with Kaneki going down and Tarokuki coming up, um, it is still remaining a 10-man roster, and uh, the strengths and weaknesses that that has, um, we obviously haven't seen every player on the Chengdu Hunters play this season. Uh, you know, definitely uh, exceptions, um, or for the most part, I yeah. should say, um, uh, c- coming in. Obviously, uh, there has been some flexibility, but I think one thing that this has to kind of be addressed is that Kaneki did not address their hero pool significantly, right? When you have Leave on your team, Leave is your best player. Uh, I-, I think that's true if you're on any team, yeah. realistically, in the league. There aren't a lot of teams that would go with Leave and look at look at him and be like, Oh man, you know, he's second fiddle. The problem is Leave is their best hit scan player. He's their best projectile yeah. player. And Kaneki, unfortunately, did not fit into the hero role, so to speak, right? Because if you need a hard projectile player, you've got Jinmu. If you need a hard hit scan player, you've got Jimmy. Kaneki's right. in this sort of no man's land where he's actually a projectile player with a tracer. A lot of, you know, Ch- Chinese DPS players are kind of like that. I think Taro yeah. sort of rounds out that a little bit where he's got the Ash, he's got the McCree, you know, he can he can bring he can bring the Widow if necessary. Um, and obviously, I think this rounds out the roster just a little bit more in terms of that DPS flexibility. Yeah, and this seems to be sort of a permanent move too, with how, kind of how their announcement was as well. And just based on what you said with with how Taro Cookie fits more into the roster just makes sense. This is what they put in the announcement for Kaneki specifically. They actually had different separate announcements for for him being going down, and then they had a special announcement too for Taro Cookie coming onto the team. They said. Uh, Kanaki, they will leave the Chengdu Hunters and join our Academy team, participating in Overwatch contenders competitions from now on. It's been 208 days 
since Kaneki has fought as a member of the Hunters and Owls since joining Chengdu on November 20th. We rarely saw him play in owl competitions during the two stages of the season, but he exerted his great effort to gain a chance to be a player on the first lineup in two homestead matches. Uh, his DPS performances gave opponents pressure and left audience impressions with highlights. It's kind of a weird way where they're like, yeah, he didn't play a lot, but but he left us with highlights. It was like, wait, did, but he really didn't play. Uh, uh, notes like this are always funny from teams. It's sad that we have to say goodbye. Uh, Kaneki can strengthen our academy team powerfully. Wish him the best of luck and to shine brightly in another competition stage. I really listen. I don't know if Chengdu's listening, but if they need like somebody to like review their stuff before sending it out, like I will be an editor for them because I like the Chengdu hunters and like sometimes the English stuff doesn't get perfectly translated over. And I would totally help them out with that because I think all the Chinese teams could maybe do with that just to maybe get some some grammatically things but also maybe nuance and stuff too like i feel like that always is helpful for teams for but sure. I, like I just this is more of a uh courtesy thing to the western fans so to speak because i think yeah you know primarily this was obviously posted on weibo first um that's it where was, i had yeah. a chance to see it and uh the, the the rough translation via you know um online services is essentially to that effect so um it is a bit stilted, but I, I think this was more of a courtesy to the Western audience than anything else. And as I said, yeah. I think I think Chengdu and the other Chinese teams, to a certain extent, um, are more fo- focused on their local um, markets as well. They should, right? When you're playing in sort of a, a franchise league such as this is. It's more of like if they want to like have somebody represent the English side, because teams like Chengdu specifically do have big English audiences. So, you know, I don't think it would hurt them to cater to those audiences. And I just want, you know. I think it'd be cool to work with a team like Chengdu or something. That's all. That's all I'm for saying. Sure, for sure. You know, <laughs> uh, they had another one of those, though, for Tyro Cookie as well, talking about how he played on Team Chaser, showed great accuracy with Hitscan heroes um, and, and talks about how he did on Team Chaser and, and the, how they finished in different stages. Um, bold but cautious talent in grasping chances on reverse sweeps in tough situations. Now participating with the, you know, the 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 owl roster it's time for him to show what he can do is on the stage so i don't know when we'll see him but that's that's a nice little announcement for him yeah this one's a little interesting to me just from the player perspective right team chaser has not been the clear-cut number one team in china not that i think any team really is billy billy probably has the list of that title but um even that has been somewhat shaky so taro cookie has been consistent I don't think he's had the highs this season in Contenders China to deserve being talked about as an immediate replacement in the roster. He may end up being such, right? It's tough to tell when you come into the league, what kind of coaching, what kind of performance with teammates and such, you know, is going to be the case. Um, But I think ultimately what this comes down to is how well does Tyro Cookie translate to the big stage? And uh, for me, I don't think there's anything in his hero pool that is spectacular enough. That is that, you know, when we talk about to put in perspective, you know, when we talk about players like, um, uh, we talked about Fleta, when we talk about, you know, leave and we talk about right. decay, when we talk about Pelican, you know, uh, Jinmu certainly on the projectile. Um, when we talk about these players coming to the league, we expect them to stand out in a big way immediately. And, I don't think anyone is putting that level of conversation on Taro Cookie um, based on his historical performance. Now, that could, you know, open him up in terms of the um, lack of pressure. Teams are going to come in and perhaps underestimate him because he's a relatively unknown talent. Um, That is certainly the case. But I think his first game, if he plays it, is going to be, depending when he plays it, could be a very big difference maker here for how he's viewed in the Overwatch League. It feels like he's there just to, I guess maybe they're more confident in him in the hit scan and like if they're in a double hit scan meta. For sure. Like I guess you play him maybe. Maybe they feel he's better than Kenneke and you have the option to bring him up. I guess you'd do it. I, 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 it's always interesting where like you throw a guy down to two contenders and then you bring another guy up in that sort of way. And then if you just look at their roster in general, was Taro Koki even the most talented player on Chaser? I think there's a good argument to say that he wasn't, too. There's a couple of things to answer to that. And I think one is that uh, Kaneki, unfortunately, has the side effect of not being the best projectile player on his team. 
um, mm-hmm. and not even the second best projectile player on his team. That's Leave and, yeah. J- uh, and Jinmu, right? So um, unfortunately, his name does not make him Jinmu necessarily, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. A little inside joke for those of you at home: Jinmu and Kanaki are technically the same name, just in different uh, in different forms. Um, yeah. It's from Tokyo Ghoul, I think. I that's I I, I I never watched Tokyo Ghoul, so I have no idea. But anyway, some some lore there. Um, in terms of uh, players coming from Chaser, though, Aprita is the other DPS player on that roster. Um, Super good. Also, not eighteen, so it's you can't. Yeah. You know, you, you can't. You, you just, just can't. Can't yeah. bring him up. Yeah, Aprita is Aprita is a very good player, almost a tracer one trick, uh, but very very good at the tracer. Um, able to contest some of the best tracers in China and Korea. Um, and, and look dominant the whole time. But yeah, not not eligible for it. I think, yeah, for Taro Cookie, map number one is not going to be the deal breaker. It's going to be map number two and three that he plays. So not his first yeah. match, but his second or third map within that match, I think is going to be a difference maker for him. Um, get that control jitter out uh, if he ends up playing on control. And I think what this highlights too, actually, before you know, I go too far into the weeds, is I think Jimmy... Because, you know, look at the rest of that DPS roster. Right, Leave yep. is your everything player. You need him to play everything. He can do it. Um, but you don't, Jimmy has really only shown the Widowmaker. Um, and the Ash McCree Reaper has been somewhat of a question mark in their roster. Even having Kaneki play it. And then having... He's not a hitscan player. Um, having a hitscan, a non-hitscan player play a hitscan character. And then on top of that, forcing Leave off of Echo, which is a mistake, you know? So yeah. I think this is really just a, a case of it fits the heroes that Chengdu have a little bit better. Maybe, maybe he fills those gaps. Exactly. And, and maybe it ends up working out. And, and speaking of, of gaps in a team now, um, the San Francisco Shock is a team that is now going to be without an assistant coach. Agape has, uh, is, has been bid farewell. And then Agape on a quote tweet on the, the tweet from the San Francisco Shock saying, thank you, sis. I'm sorry for not being able to fulfill my responsibilities until the end. Thank you to all the members who have been with me so far. And thank you to staff who sympathized and understood my family, family problems. So Agape no longer being a part of that. And, you know, the staff has already been super thinned out from the San Francisco shock because of how many coaches have been picked clean from other overwatch league teams. There's always the joke about the crusty, you know, the crusty um, coaching tree. And apparently the tree now gets trimmed a little bit more as now they don't have Agape either, who was, you know, a well-known coach in the league. So San Francisco, uh, really tough loss for them here. And unfortunate that Agape has to, you know, deal with whatever it is with his family. We wish him the best, obviously. For sure. Um, I don't want to speculate about why, uh, why he's leaving. You know, that's right. We don't have the information on that. So it's, it's tough to, um, make any conclusions, but, uh, in terms of what this means, the shock shock have struggled this season, right? No two yeah. ways about it. You know, they have not made a single tournament cycle, um, in any meaningful, you know, uh, situation, not making it to Hawaii back to back, uh, you know, uh, tournaments, um, on top of that, you know, this is the team that was supposedly the favorite for the three Pete, right. Um, and have not shown that level of dominance. Not that they necessarily were expected to show the hyper dominance they did in season two and season three. Um, but you know, they're a pale shadow of themselves and how much of that is them getting worse and how much of that is the league getting better. I'm not sure. I think it's a little bit of a, a little bit of B, but ultimately what it comes down to is that yes, the shock are getting thinned out, um, on all fronts, uh, you know, player personnel, coaching personnel, um, and I think this is just another another blow into the hopes that perhaps making that third uh, run to the championship uh, for the San Francisco Shock. They still have Krusty, obviously. They're still in a prime position as far as the end of year is concerned. They're in second place in the West, even though they haven't made any of these tournaments. I think there's something to be said about that. They've literally lost one regular season game. That's it. Of course, they've lost the two games in the, the different tournaments. but. If you look at it, they've always put themselves in a position to potentially qualify. They only have to win one game to get into the the double elimination. They haven't been able to really do that. Uh, they didn't in the first week, but but still, the point is, is that they're in positions to qualify a majority of the time and they just haven't done it. 
to me, this feels still a lot like a team that that is super new, has a lot of new moving parts that they just haven't all gotten on the same page yet to play to play the glass half empty, though, uh, Lobosco for that is that when the shock are in that position, you know, in that position where they need to go for it all to make that next play, they're not they don't show up right. The Atlanta rain mm-hmm. in the June. Uh, I'm saying June tournament now, too. It's fine. Mm-hmm. As, uh, as, shout out shout <laughs> out to name. shout out to Miss Liz for that. But um in, in terms of in terms of that, I mean the, the the concept there is that they got absolutely rolled by the Atlanta Rain, right? Like it was not yeah. it was not a close match. And now, you know, I don't want to speculate too heavily on how the, 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 the player personnel is setting up or the coaching is setting up because we don't have insight into that. The shock have been a black box, so to speak, um, in, in terms of what goes on on the on that front in yeah, internally yeah. every season this is not unique to this season yep. it's just that in previous seasons they were winning so handily that no one questioned it now you know with losses you inevitably have to ask what's going on there and this is just another question that gets added to the list and yeah. that's never a good thing if you're looking to be the favorite for the end of season championships I think for them they they still have two tournaments left though to figure it out I don't think even if they even if they don't make it into summer showdown, I don't think that I'm worrying just yet because we know that they have enough talent to be the best team in the league. I don't think there's any question about that, right? Like they still are one of the, if not the most talented team, even though they haven't put it all together. Yeah. And I mean, I know we've strayed away kind of from uh, Agape's kind of, uh, you know, uh, heading out, but here's where I think actually the biggest problem addressed needs to be addressed by the shock is their inflexibility. Um, and that's yeah, such a weird a thing point. to say about the shock, right? The team that is known to be the one to kind of set the meta. Fundamentally, they have not, they've kind of gotten, I hate to use this term, lucky um, in terms of the meta that's shown up because it's kind of perfectly fit their hero pools. But if they need a perfect hit scan player, they're putting Glister in. And, you know, I'm not one of the people who's going to say, oh, Glister is, you know, terrible and awful, blah, 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 after one game, because I think, you know, he's kind of proven that he's gotten the talent to do it. Right? Literally, the, the, like, literally a couple maps after that map that everybody freaked out, he dominated the person that everybody was talking about in one of those games. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that about Glister. Yeah, so it's, you know, a lot of a lot of play at the elite level is mental, man. It's so much the mentality, like, I'm just better yeah. than you, and that's why I take those angles in those fights, right? And Glister didn't have that in the Junkertown game, but then again, neither did the rest of the shock. But to that point, you know, if you have to constantly switch out players map to map means you're not nearly as adaptable in the middle of the map. And I think that has started to affect teams a little bit, not specifically in the in the metas we've seen so far, because they've been fairly ones like you pick one thing and kind of stick to it. We obviously saw the the kind of Lucio or the Winston uh, echo brawl that turned into the wrecking ball echo brawl. Um, in, in, in the June tournament, obviously, but uh, in, in previous metas, we had seen uh, sort of a, a rush comp take place. Um, yeah, primarily in NA and then obviously uh, a dive esque style in APAC. But to that point, I mean, we're often seeing, you know, shock have to take out players and move them back and forth. Smurf comes in here, super comes in there. With that level of pr- uh, preparation to tie it back to Agape leaving, this is going to put a lot more stress on the coaching staff of the San Francisco shock, which to my knowledge right now is just crusty and Casora's. Um, if my memory serves and you know, if you have to do that much pre- preparation per map, per team, per meta for only two people. Now you start to think is shock running up against the wall, of just simply not having enough manpower. They do have a lion and mercy as uh, analysts. So you still, uh, e- even though you don't have coaches, I think having like analysts who, who are looking at the game in a different way, th- I think that still matters. But you don't, you know, instead of having the two assistant coaches and Casaurus and and you know maybe being able to split off a coach focusing on each different position, you don't have that anymore. I, I don't know how they work internally for that team, but but you don't have that as a luxury anymore. So I I, I think from that standpoint, like. An analyst is an analyst and not a coach for a reason, right? So, so even though you still have those two people, it is a big difference to not have somebody like Agape. And again, Agape is not somebody who's like a no-name coach either. I think people kind of forget that Agape 
was a very good coach, coached for LW Red and Blue at one point, coached the Spitfire when they were champions. Like, this is somebody with, with a pretty decorated history in the Overwatch League. So I don't think that should be forgotten either about the caliber of person that they've lost as far as, not just as a person, but as a coach in Agape. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess at this point, you know, it, it, not to not to be too vague about it, but time will have to tell how the shock re- how the shock respond to yeah. to this uh, this the situation. Yeah, they've always responded well to adversity. We'll have to see if they continue to do it here. One thing that that is changing, though, is we're starting to get back to the point where we can have audiences to go and see things. And if you're a fan of sports, you've seen a lot of these a lot of the the major sports, the the team sports, uh, the meat sports, whatever you want to call them, they a lot of them are starting to go get full capacity now. Well, it's not just going to be the meat sports. The esports are finally getting to that point where we can start seeing our favorite players play in front of fans again. The Dallas Fuel is going to be the next Overwatch team that will host a a home match again. This is the first time, obviously, since. Prior to 2020, that we've seen an Overwatch League game happen on NA soil in person. So that that'll be really cool. July 9th is going to be the game that they do it against the Houston Outlaws. It will be at the Esports Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Uh, it will be only 50% capacity for the week, though. Is the interesting thing. I'm surprised because I think Texas right now is fully open, so I'm a little surprised to only have capacity. Um, which is a little bit of a shock. But again, we get to see another our our first NA games on uh that'll actually be a land. That's really cool and fun to have back. Yeah, a couple other details. Obviously, tickets are going to be $15, so fairly affordable actually in terms of what yeah. that is and uh, uh fans will be required to wear masks while in attendance. So, um, you know, a, a couple of thoughts right at the top. Back to land always good, uh especially when it's when when people are healthy and are not at risk for getting sick and so forth, right? We we did not go through uh, what is it a year and a half at this point of, yeah. uh, of of kind of battling the pandemic to kind of throw it away here at the end at least here in North America at least where we're fairly lucky in terms of sort of what our vaccination rates and so forth are. Uh, yeah. But in, in terms of like the specifics of it, yeah, land is always the peak, the pinnacle. Um, I'm a major sports fan. I know you are as well. Yeah. Having that energy of the crowd is. Unlike anything else, if you unmatched, yeah, it just absolutely unparalleled. You know, anyone who's been to an esports uh, event as well, you and I have been to the Overwatch League Grand Finals uh, a couple of times. Um, you know, that's that's been that's always been a good time. Um, you know, yeah. anyone who's been to events like that knows that the crowd just adds an energy that is. You there are no words for it really. It, it's a case of if you've been there, you know. And if you yeah. haven't, you can never truly understand. So to have any sort of that uh, coming back is spectacular. Um, and I obviously gets their first taste of it in again over a year. The last time, you know, was was back in in, in season two at the beginning of season two. Um, I believe the New York Excelsior homestand was the last one that was held um, yeah, before right. before things were were canceled. So you know, a, a ton here. And if you had a chance to watch the APAC games for the last couple of weeks with the Hangzhou homestand. You can tell it's just a different when when the fans are in the in the arena and your and their team just pops off and, and has some sort of brilliant moment. They erupt in cheers and it's amazing for the for the players. It's amazing for the coaches. It's you know for the fans in the attendance and the fans online. It just makes for a better viewing product because people are genuinely excited about something that's happening. And I don't think. Uh, that that level of of emotion cannot really be translated in any other way. When when a fan when the fans in a stadium get hyped, you get hyped even if you're not hyped, right? Yeah, like like absolutely. there's that effect too, I, I, which I don't think should be understated either. So I definitely agree. It's like it's good this is finally happening. I'm happy too. It's it should be a good match, right? This is Dallas and Houston, who are it would have been two of the best teams. You know, even though Houston has had the the sort of the San Francisco shock um, case where they haven't been able to get into the the tournaments, you know, for the double elimination part, they still have been stellar in the regular season. So this should be a super good match. And I'm sure that both teams, especially being on home soil in Texas, are going to be super stoked to have 
because you'll have Houston fans there too, no doubt. So that'll be that'll be really fun to see. And you're talking about a 2,500 uh, seat stadium, so so that equates out to what um, uh, 1,250 people. Yeah, about yeah. 1,250. So that's a still a good amount of people. I don't think yeah. people realize how many is like a thousand people is a lot of people. Yep. Uh, the Houston team will not be in attendance due to scheduling issues. Um, I believe sucks. they play a game. Yeah, they, they play a game against Boston fairly uh, recently before that. So the travel just becomes a little too much. And obviously any 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 regulations that are put in place need to be need to be abided by. But um, yeah. I, th- I think this is this is a case of a and I believe, uh, you know, the 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 um, envy's uh, 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 chief operating officer um basically said you know they're excited about Jeff it it's, it's it's the first step right this is this is Baby the case steps. where exactly um don't force it don't make you know don't make mistakes uh this close to being back to being allowed to just kind of have events um so i i respect the the patience that's being shown here by envy and the dallas fuel and obviously the fans as well because um, it's tough, right? You know, you're such a big fan of, of of a team and getting a chance to you know witness them in person it's just it's truly, it's truly a, a, a pleasure that I don't think any fan should absolutely get a chance to witness their team live at least once. It's something everybody should too. And, and it's funny cause I was gonna be like, Oh, you know, this would be a really great thing to, where they could like get Tony Petiti to reach out to people in the MLB who just went through these different baby steps to get people back into stadiums and all of the precautions that they've gone through, but they can't ask him anymore because he's not with, Activision Blizzard. So for those who might not know who Tony Petiti was, he was the the his official title was president of sports and entertainment of Activision Blizzard. So he kind of so saw over all the leagues and everything. He was like sort of the head guy and he has stepped down. Uh, he hadn't hold the position long. He used to be part of the MLB. He was um, spent 12 years in the MLB in various different positions. He was deputy commissioner, I think, at the end of his tenure and was um, uh, deputy commissioner of business and media and COO, bunch of stuff. Basically, he was um, he was a big guy that that pushed for the MLB to have all of the digital stuff that they do. He was one of the big guys behind it was actually, according to Jacob Wolf, very much liked at Activision Blizzard and and liked by people in like the production and stuff too. Like people actually like Tony Petiti. So this was turning out to be a decent hire and now he's gone. Yeah. Something interesting too is that he wasn't, as you said, not at Blizzard for long, less than a year. Yeah. Um, I believe August of 2020 is when end of August, if I remember correctly. And yeah, um, August 17th. Yeah. We are now on as, as of the recording of this podcast, June 20th, 2021. So um, that's, what is it? Uh, Ten months, um, uh, yeah. essentially, uh, at in terms of time spent. So certainly, um, I think interesting. Obviously, we can look at how Overwatch League and, and and Call of Duty League too have have kind of changed some of their programming and and their approach and and kind of make you know a, a couple of uh, of thoughts to to kind of come further there. Obviously, it's tough to say what. Um, from the outside looking in, it's tough to say what this, what, 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 what Tony uh, did, right? What, what, yeah, exactly what the uh, Tony's role was, but uh, certainly upheaval is a tough ask, especially with the kind of precarious position that both Overwatch League and Call of Duty League are currently in, in terms of the product they're putting on air, um, and, and kind of the changes and shifts that they've made both, both streams, um, in tune, in format, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I'm generally optimistic about both leagues, um, but certainly a look that I think from the outside looking in anyway, uh, certainly a difficult thing to say. I'm getting tornado warnings, so sorry about that. That's great. Um, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) before my phone decides to destroy itself. But no, I, I think that things have kind of been going in a positive way with this most recent season, too. Like you're seeing in both leagues an uptick in viewership again. Um, it's been a little bit of a tough go at the beginning on YouTube. They lost a lot of functionality from what they were able to do with Twitch. And now they're starting to get just back to where they were, but they've also added in some things that some of us as who were fans of some of the other, um, previous iterations of how productions went like this year, we have the, the actual player cams, which has been great, has been awesome. We don't know if Tony was a part of 
saying, yeah, let's make sure we get that back in or who it could have been Matt Morello. You know, it could have been Mr. X, who's now in a position as far as the production, too. We don't know. Um, it, it's just weird to see this happen. But there's a really weird part of this, too, because this is a developing story. It's not still fully fleshed out. It's Kevin Hit, by the way. Shout outs to Kevin, who is an awesome esports observer um, writer uh, who is the one on top of this. Uh, he talked to an Activision Blizzard rep and they told the esports um, observer that uh, Brandon Snow, who is the senior vice president, chief of revenue officer, will be the replacement for Tony. But then there is also this quote too that Ac Activision Blizzard and Tony Petiti uh, have parted ways in connection with Tony's departure. We may invest in a venture which is unrelated to esports, but cannot share the details at this time. So it sounds like Tony's doing something else that they're going to invest in too. And it was like, it's not esports related. That was really weird to me too. It was like, uh, what's like, so, so they're going to invest in something potentially that he's doing outside of this and they're excited about it or they're actually mentioning that they were doing this. It's a whole bunch of weird stuff. Yeah. Mentioning a project this early out um, and, and having sort of the vacillating response where we might be, we might not be, you know, investing in it, et cetera. I mean, they say we, we, we may, um, but that's not a confirmation of any sort, right? It's right. sort of a case of um, something's there. We're not sure how much. We're not sure how public we want to be about it. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, they later go on to say in that same, in that same statement um, that they, quote, will continue to focus on driving the momentum around their current seasons of Call of Duty and Overwatch leagues and delivering the absolute best experiences to our fans around the world. We, rank, we, we remain, rather, committed to the future of esports and being a leading player in this growing industry. So, you know, this is one of those, this is one of those cases where um, a lot can be inferred from what was said, um, mm -hmm. and all of it could just as easily be wrong, right? Um, this statement definitely has some implications, um, namely that um, the 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 path they're looking to take the esports route in is perhaps less tied to sort of the older, more you know established franchise sports that exist in North America. But I mean, while you could make that you know that inference. Is that expressly implied by this move? I don't know that that's necessarily the case. It, it's hard to say for sure, especially too, because like I, I don't necessarily think like like I know a lot of people rolled their eyes when they see that Brandon Snow, who is the you know chief revenue officer, is the person taking over. But this is a man with a a marketing background uh, and a very extensive marketing background. Worked with the NBA. Worked with a um, for a long time was actually with the NBA in a marketing position. And if you talk about a league that in recent times is the best at doing marketing, the NBA is it. And he was a large part of that. So I don't think you're necessarily li like this is an overarching position. So people shouldn't focus too much on this. But but you're not putting somebody in there who's literally a bean counter or something. I think that's something that that is important for people to know as far as who the replacement is for Tony and also to know that, you know, endemic sports people or not, it doesn't really matter. It's about what are they going to be bringing? And a guy like, like Brandon snow specifically is why you have a lot of the big name sponsors that you have for these leagues too. So like you can be, a, you know, you cannot want to have those people totally be taking over everything and having guys like Tony in there, but you also shouldn't be against having them. Yeah, this is going to definitely be a more long-term thing, right? Um, I don't think we're going to see the right. results of this move for at least another year, um, perhaps even longer than that, right? So that's that's kind of where um, things I think will. So season season what is it? Season five, realistically, is kind of where we'll kind of get a sense of of how things kind of go. Yeah, Th this is um, big big moves like this. You never know for sure where it's going to end up leading that that's for sure it, it, it's definitely weird to see somebody not even finish out a year with it but it, it's not the most concerning move that we even had this week 
Speaking of maybe the 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 saddest the saddest news, one of the 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 most foreboding signs of of problems is the shutdown of Runaway. Uh, Runaway released a tweet on June fourteenth, so the beginning of the week, basically right after we did the podcast, like a day or two later or whatever it was. Um, the, the, yeah, the next day. Today we are going to notify uh, with a little heavy and sad news. The journey of Runaway Overwatch team ends today. In 2016, it was the team that started only with passion and and challenge. We grew up with the great love and support of our fans. Seven runner-ups and eight wins. That's a lot. We shared the joy of victory and the sorrow of defeat. Thanks to our Runaway fans, we could laugh and cry together. All of us, and also Runaway, were really, really happy. Someday, we are looking forward to seeing you again. We are so thankful to be with Runaway and also with the players and coaching staff. We can't begin to thank you enough. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's rough. It's it's um Monday sucked. Yeah. When this news dropped. Um w- one thing I always say is is it it's kind of nice to not just go live immediately after news like this drops because you have time to kind of let it soak in. And even though it's, you know, we've had almost a full week to, to take it in, it still still hurts to, to think that there's not going to be any more runaway. I think before we go into sort of the thoughts on runaway, I think we need to provide context for why this is a big deal. And why Runaway was so beloved. Because I, the reason why I say that is I was on, obviously, forums um, and, and, and fan, you know, Twitter and, and Reddit and whatnot after, after Runaway was um, announced their, their formal disbandment. Um, yeah. And a common refrain that I saw here, especially here in the West, uh, the Western sort of fandom, uh, where Runaway has not really entered the zeitgeist uh, of, of the Overwatch fandom, you know, of the Overwatch League fandom specifically. Um, as heavily, been, yeah. yeah, as heavily it has been kind of this weird idea that Runaway was just another contenders team, and I mean, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, they were just another contenders team. The same way, um, I, I, I mean, the same way the sun is just another star, right? Like. You can describe <laughs> right. it like that, sure, I guess, but that's kind of underselling the whole story, right? Um, yeah. It's like, oh, they're just a mediocre star in a solar system, you know, and whatever. Like, that's not how we would describe the sun um, here as humans. And I think for Overwatch fans who came from sort of that pre-Overwatch League time, so, you know, obviously your Apexes into, into the early Contenders days, Runaway was a team that kind of captured the hearts of what Overwatch esports was. Overwatch had always been this sort of scrappy, happy-go-lucky, um, make-it-work-at-all-costs kind of esports scene, right? That's kind of what Overwatch was. And Runaway identified that and sort of displayed that personality in a way that I don't think any other team has can or will for the rest of Overwatch. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, just just to sort of add on to that, you think about the first roster of the Vancouver Titans and how big of a deal it was that you had the whole runaway roster of this legendary runaway team that got pulled in and they were just wrecking house. You know, they, they were meeting and exceeding expectations when they came into the Overwatch League. That's what we that's what a lot of people may know Runaway for. But like you said, there was so much history before that, before they became the juggernauts that they ended up being. And then the crazy dismantling Overwatch, man, the story of Overwatch is a crazy one. That's for sure. But they they were that embodiment. You know, you when you were talking there, one of the moments uh, thinking of their scrappiness, their energy and everything like that runner jumping up in, and I think it was runner was the one who put his hand through the, the, yeah. the, the ceiling tiles in the room during, during apex, like, like they were that team and, and, and runner specifically was a streamer that put this team together. And 
and what he and Flowervin were able to turn this team into over time, where it wasn't just scrappiness. It was it was everything you could possibly want from this sort of an organization. They they really took with it and ran with it and made it special. It, it's there, there was a lot of reasons why. And it's hard to put it down into words. I think I think a couple of things that immediately strike me off the bat, though, for why Runaway was so special. One, they had that community heart. They were of the community, by the community, in the sense that they loved the Overwatch esports scene for what it was and performed to it, right? This was a team that had no money. They didn't have, you know, practice facilities or anything like that. It was literally out of a living room, essentially, right? You should, I'm not doing it justice, but you should definitely go look at some of Runners and Flowervin's old stories because you absolutely should. Um, yeah. They are a charismatic and caring uh, couple, I think, most importantly. Yes. Um, and that showed not just in the day to day operations of how Runaway kind of interacted with the world, but also how they dealt with the, the you know, the fall of the, the Vancouver Titans and so forth. But on top of that, they performed, they had some of the best players in the world in that team. Haksal, yeah. you know, like a spectacular world-class Genji on that roster, obviously. Uh, Janu, you know, uh, coming in and not just one generation of fantastic players, but more, but multiple generations, right? Um, into Overwatch League now, like Mag and, and, and Gangnam Jin and Lee Jae Gun and, um, you know, Assassin even uh, coming yeah. in mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to the Overwatch League. So, um you know, slime and, and, and the list goes on. I think not only were they able to bring in a wealth of talent, but the way they were able to do it and the theatrics that they were able to manage as well was just unparalleled really in, in the tier two scene. What other team goes to eight maps to finally complete, uh, you know, the, the win that they've been looking for for so long, permanently second place, and take some eight maps in a seven map series to get that win. One of the best series of Overwatch to have ever been played. Yep. Incredible Overwatch. It just it, It's one of those series you can go back. And, and it's not like that's the only series that they were in that was like that, too. You think of just the history of old and them being the, the foil to the team that everybody, you know, the, the super popular, the mega crazy talented um, uh, Lunatic High, who was their rivals for so long. It's weird to think that like all of these teams, especially in the Korean region, that that we we tie a lot of Overwatch's history to for a lot of different reasons, are all gone. Lunatic High is gone. Runaway is now gone. Element Mystic is gone too. Like like uh, they are just the next one on the list. But you know th- those other teams may have had higher highs than Runaway, but Runaway was always that team that just never went away. And I think that's what makes this one hurt a lot more than like losing lunatic high and lunatic high was because of different reasons, whatever. But it doesn't mean a lot that this team will no longer be around. There's I'm going in circles here. Yeah. I think two things to kind of like set my like final points on this to kind of like emphasize why I said calling runaway, just another tier two team is like calling the sun just another mediocre star, right? It's the first is that they cemented their dynasty in Overwatch history. They cemented their legacy, um, and it still felt like their story had more to tell, right? Yeah. Um, when we look at teams like Lunatic High, it felt like their story had been told, right? We look at like the Enviouses and the Cloud Nines, and you know even the San Francisco Shocks. It feels like their legacy had been defined and their story was told. They may have had opportunities to create other stories, certainly, but I feel like for Runaway, their story was an ever-evolving one that had never truly been cemented. And I think now, obviously, it, there, the, there is a period on that sentence, um, at least in as much as Overwatch is concerned. So that's, I think, why also it feels like it, it hurts a little bit. The other thing, too, is that Runaway has long been the standard of Tier 2. When run, yep. there was things you could count on in contenders, right? And Runaway was one of them. And then now yeah. that's gone. And if that's gone, what else is gonna? What else is sort of that bar to measure contenders by? Contenders is a fleeting thing, Lobosco, right? Like it really yeah. is. It's operating on a on a on a razor's edge. 
And with Runaway no longer there, it feels like the razor's edge has disappeared. And now things are balancing on literal air. Well, and I, I forget who it was who did a very good translation of one of Runner streams where it was Runner and Flower Vin kind of going over why this happened. And and they talked about how the landscape of of Overwatch contenders and just Overwatch in general is so difficult that th- they had to make a decision. Do they continue to to run? And, and at this point, with where they were right now, they were spending money to keep the team going. They weren't making, they weren't even making ends meet, right? That was part of it. You know, it, it was no longer something where they could at least afford, not that they couldn't afford to do it, but, but did they want to continue to, to go in this direction if that's the way things were going to go? Uh, one of the things in particular that they talked about was the change and uh, it, it happened over the off season, but, but buyout, the ways buyouts work and things like that. Like that changed significantly. And if you're wondering what, what made this change happen with that, 30-day contracts. That's what made one of the big changes. Um, that wasn't something that they mentioned. That's just something that is apparent just from how everything is going in the league. Um, that's just connecting the dots, right? So they, they were in a position where they, they weren't able to do like how, how things went with the Vancouver Titans, where they were able to sell a whole roster. Not that that's what they were looking to do again, but. You, you, they're not making the money off of getting those players up to the league. They're not being able to maintain making money just being a contenders team because contenders doesn't have the viewership, the audience, the pull for for sponsorship. Like there was just everything was gone. There was nothing for them to do. And this is where we're at now. They did say there's the, always the possibility of them coming back, but in the near future, probably not. And that sucks. I mean, it leaves you with some hope, but at the same time, it also is a very foreboding thing that Runaway is gone. Like that is the big thing about this because they were that that, like you said, the, the they were the creme de la creme always of contenders. And sure, they hadn't been that number one spot the way they were before, but they were still always a team that you had to worry about. the 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 fact that that it's gotten to this point is really scary. Yeah, the longest standing tier two roster in Overwatch, I believe, uh, no longer there. Runaway was the longest standing um, since, you know, um, obviously the Western teams, Envious and Cloud9 became Overwatch League teams, but um, that's, you know, neither here nor there. A lot of the other Korean teams no longer exist. European teams and Chinese teams don't have that staying power or didn't have that staying power. You know, Runaway has been in operation since 2017. so, an early 2017 at that. So one of the longest running, you know, banners in Overwatch, certainly. Um, yes, there's been other, you know, the other teams that have kind of had that, you know, longevity. The O2 Blast was, you know, operating during the Apex days and et cetera, et cetera. But not to the same extent that Runaway has. And certainly, yeah, that's, that's it's just a tough, it's just a tough, it's a tough thing to say that Runaway right. is no longer an Overwatch team. And and who's to say that that O2 Blast isn't next either, right? That's part of why this is scary, because if there was a team that you thought that had the staying power, it was Runaway. And, and that's that's what makes it really rough. And and, and it's th- this is a super, super sad story and f- for so many different reasons. But if not alone, just the history that Runaway means to to Overwatch as a whole. It, it really sucks. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the one thing that, that, that comes to my mind is that whatever, ha- I mean, runner and Flowervin, they could just be streamers the rest of their life and they'll be very successful because they are incredible people. But I just hope that, that whatever runner and Flowervin want to do next, that, that it reaches even higher highs than what runaway did. Yeah. That's there's I have nothing more to add on that one. Yeah. Um, it's just, uh, I mean, Hey, I'll put it, I'll, I'll say it this way. Runaway, runner, runaway was the first team I has, I was actively a fan of in overwatch. Um, and so it feels like a moment of my ties to that past overwatch has kind of been severed because this is their ending. So it's a, it's a bittersweet moment for sure. 
we can only hope that it's not the final moment of Runaway and that they come back sometime in the future. That's that's one thing we can hope for. Not that we'll hold our breath for it, but all we can do is hope, right? And hope that the future remains bright and and that we can see Runaway come back one day. But we have more to cover. There are more things going on. We have games to cover because next week, LaFon, we get back into the Overwatch League. So we, we can't be sad about Runaway anymore. Uh, because we know that R- Runner and Flowervin are going to be just fine anyways, so so we'd be happy. All of those players on that roster are too, and I'm sure we'll see them in the league soon. But let's get to some some of the league games, because we do get games again, and uh, there there's actually probably going to be some good ones this coming week. Yeah, I mean, obviously we have to start with... Um well, we've got to start with NA, I mean, right? There's there's no yes, other there's no way to put it. Uh, <laughs> as soon as we're both NA-bound, but... Uh, I mean, London Spitfire versus Paris Eternals up first, right? So this is going to be an interesting one. Um, London has not been in the greatest shape this season. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> yeah. They do have a new coach. Um, we didn't get a chance to touch on that, but a new assistant coach, uh, Spilo, is uh, formerly of contenders. Um, teams such as Phase 2, Uprising Academy, um, recently worked with or worked with Sheer Cold. Um, and a handful of other teams um, was just uh, announced as the assistant coach for the London Spitfire. Um, will that make a difference in such a short span of time? We do not know. Um, obviously, uh, you know, so <laughs> London Spitfire, a lot to kind of answer for. Um, this is arguably their quote unquote easiest game. This might be their best chance to win a game. Yeah, it's a good yeah. point. Uh, that's they, not they are, they are, a gimme yeah. either because Paris has taken some real fights with some real teams. Yeah, there, there's kind of like if you were to tear things out sort of right now, you probably put like Dallas and Atlanta and Florida and 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 then Houston and like San Francisco and L.A. maybe like in a top tier and then like, you know, Washington and Toronto and Boston or maybe in in a, and Paris are like in that next tier. And then you got you got Vancouver and London at the bottom. They are not. They do not have good company with them right now. So yeah, th- this is one of their best chances to win. Uh, it starts off the week, and then we get to go into a very good game: the Gladiators versus the San Francisco Shock, or what should be a very good game. Uh, San Francisco Shock, obviously, a lot to prove still because they haven't been able to do it and get into the the double elimination brackets. And the Gladiators, the same thing. These are two teams that people had the top of the league. Uh, haven't been that right now, and, yeah. and now they've got to play each other. This, I think, is one of the games that I'm looking forward to the most this week. This is a must win for both teams. Um, weirdly, because if they don't <laughs> win this one, whichever team does not win this one, it has stands a very real chance of not making the summer showdown. Um, you know, obviously, we're not going to look too far ahead in, in terms of schedule and, and, and whatnot, but I mean, San Francisco Shock arguably has the easier first week. Um, they obviously play the Gladiators, and then they play the London Spitfire, whereas Glads play Shock and then the Paris Eternal. So, um, yeah, this this first match, I, I think there's not too much I can kind of set up ahead of time, but this is a must-win for both squads to get a sta- start off on this next tournament cycle um, with a win, which would arguably put them in a really good position, you know, heading into those third and fourth matches that they kind of need to set up for the uh, for whatever is coming, uh, you know, for for the summer uh, showdown. Yep. And then from there, we go on to the Hangzhou Spark and the Valiant and um, the Spark obviously have been playing much better. The Valiant, they're still looking for their first win. Probably not going to to get it here either. And then we move on to Seoul Dynasty versus the Chengdu Hunters. And then the last time we saw these two teams played, it, it, Seoul, Seoul handled Chengdu pretty well last time. Yeah, I felt like Chengdu did not have a good read on the meta. They had Leave playing almost anything. And the thing that he was the best at, they didn't have him on. Decided not to have him on Echo, which is strange. Hopefully, Taro Cookie can integrate into the roster. This is going to be a tough, tough... If Taro Cookie plays in this match... Gonna be a very rough ask for a rookie coming in halfway through the season to play against the Seoul Dynasty. From there, we go on to the Guangzhou Charge versus the New York Excelsior, which actually ends up being the the encore game as well. The Charge, the Charge have been an enigma this year because the talent on the roster, you kind of expect them to be better than they've been, and they haven't been that. And New York feels like a team 
that's starting to ascend that 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 youthful roster that they have that that lot of players that that there's a lot of expectations on it seems like some of those players are are really starting to evolve into players that that are going to be players we might end up talking about for quite a bit in the league if they continue to improve. Yeah, a couple of things to note too. Guangzhou recently made rather some coaching changes. Uh, a lot of those going around the league uh, as of late. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be uh, first chance. Is this going to be an, a, a smooth integration or is it going to be rough? Mike Haley has not had a good start to the season. Will he be able to you know kind of step up in a big way for the Guangzhou charge? But uh, ultimately, this this has a chance to be very good or the worst game of the weekend. <laughs> that's that's I think that's a good way of putting it, especially for the APAC region. London Spitfire versus San Francisco Shocks starts out our Saturday, followed by Florida Mayhem and Toronto Defiant. Florida is a team that we saw get into the May melee, didn't have the same success in June. And then Toronto has been a team that that is kind of one of those middle of the pack teams that that can't seem to find out if they're going to go more towards the bottom or the top. So a, another important game in the beginning of the run for both of these teams. Yeah, Florida. I mean, they are the top bottom of the top tier. Toronto, I think, are top of the bottom tier, if that kind of makes sense. Um So they are fighting to see who kind of st- steps out on top in, in sort of that that matchup. Yeah, I, I, I think you still probably pick Florida in a game oh, like for sure. that, too, uh, especially now that we're back to um, no hero pools for this coming tournament. So something to remind you, too, for the summer showdown, no, no, um, no hero pools. Uh, we don't get them back till countdown cup. So be happy about that. Um, Vancouver Titans versus Boston Uprising. Our next game, Vancouver is sort of in that same situation as as London is. And this is a game, though, like even though Boston has looked a lot better as of late, I'm still concerned because Boston sometimes scares me. This is a trap game for sure. Um, Vancouver could sneak away a win if Boston isn't careful, but I think Boston's going to try and stay up on top. They're going to come in with their extra A game here. This is a game they definitely do not want to lose. Hangzhou Spark versus the Seoul Dynasty is how we start out our Sunday morning. Uh, uh, this is another one. Soul, I still don't know what soul is. I don't know what to think of soul. I still don't know. I, I don't know what to think of the spark either. I think these are two teams in a very similar spot that are going to play each other. Uh, opposite sides of the same coin, I think, in terms of that argument for sure. Uh, soul inconsistent um, is sort of the name of their game. And then the flip side yep. of that, spark are consistent, except when it matters. Um, so you know, <laughs> yep. if you could ha- have a hybrid between soul and spark, I think they'd win every game all the time. Unfortunately, you can't. And so, yeah, one of these teams is going to have to win. With how how quickly can these teams learn the meta? And that's really what it's going to come down to. <laughs> Which one? I, yeah, that's still something that I'm so curious about is how the meta is going to shake out, because I think that maybe teams learn some things in the. I feel like that that um, even though we had hero pulls, I think we saw some things that were maybe stronger than people realize. So I'm really curious to how that how things will be affected moving into this tournament. But continuing on, Chengdu Hunters versus the Guangzhou Charge will be our mid APAC game for Sunday. And again, Guangzhou needs to show something, especially against a team like Chengdu, who's above them. And then New York Excelsior versus Los Angeles Valiant finishes off our Sunday morning. And, and then again, that should be an easy win for New York. Um, you know, the Valiant just haven't, they take a map here and there, but that's it. Two but, maps, two maps this uh, season. Uh, obviously one control, the more- one control, <laughs> one hybrid. They took uh, a control against Chengdu. Chengdu were kind of putting their spaghetti out all on the floor. Um, yeah. And then Philadelphia choosing to, you know, the one map they absolutely could not lose the Valiant. They They've get full held, yeah. and then in the final moments, the Valiant come back. So yeah, keep your eyes out. The Valiant do not go away quietly, even though they have definitely been struggling. And, and if there's a team that maybe you have the chance to do that against, New York is is still very young. That Chengdu, that Guangzhou Chengdu game, I think should be a fun one too. I, I just, I I don't know what we're gonna get at. Like you said, Kaylee is my Kaylee is somebody that we need to see a lot from. Krong needs to continue to play well because Krong had a very bad start to the season, too. That was, I think, one of the things that shocked me the most at the beginning of the year from Guangzhou. And then we go to Sunday, 
and our Sunday afternoon games uh, for our NA games. We start off with the LA Gladiators versus Paris Eternal. And I, I wouldn't say this is a, is a trap game, LaFon, but like this is a game where Paris might be able to surprise some people. Yeah, you definitely read my mind a little bit on that one because I think this is a ma- this is a match that Paris could take, absolutely could take. LA by necessity is going to have to prepare for San Francisco a lot more heavily. Um, and yeah. coming into match number two, Paris is the harder team than you know the London Spitfire. I think just based on historical data um, this season. Yeah. So one of these teams has to prepare more heavily than the others. Um, and LA Gladiators definitely got the unlucky timing here. Not a trap game, as you said, but one that they will have to split their attention between the San Francisco Shock and the Paris and the Paris Eternal. The game following that one up will be Boston Uprising versus Florida Mayhem. Another game where the Florida Mayhem, the, the Boston Uprising has sort of been on the rise. So you cannot overlook Boston if you're Florida. And they do have another tough game this week uh, against the Toronto Defiance. So Florida with a tough start of their we are their tournament uh, qualifier games, having both Boston and Toronto, who, yeah, they're not the best teams in the league, but they're they're not teams that you can just think that you're going to beat easily. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then Toronto Defiant versus Vancouver Titans is how we finish out the week. So give me. One game for the, that you think will be the game to watch this coming week for the start of our uh, summer showdown. Um, Gladiators Shock is an easy one to kind of say. Um, yeah. I agree. And then I think. I think Spark Dynasty could really perform as well. So I'm going to go there. That one there is the biggest boomer bust, though. Um, it is either going to be very, very good or very, or very bad and no in yeah. between. Yeah, that, that, I think those are two really good ones. I, I'm For a game that people may not expect to be good, I think Boston versus Florida could end up being very good. Yeah, um, I think Boston, especially because they, they've been figuring out what to do at off tank. It hasn't been solely punk, and I think that's made a big difference. Um, uh, Gabolsi has been I, I, I don't know if I ever say that right or not, but. Uh, has been very good when they finally put him in. So I hope that Boston continues to do that for the off tank spot where, where they won't just sit on, on having it be punk the entire time. Cause I think Gabolsi has been very, very a standout on a lot of things. Obviously, you know, punk, you'll have play if Sigma's important, but that that's the the game that I'm definitely going to be looking at. Other than obviously, like you said, it'd be very easy to pick San Francisco Gladi and Gladiators because of everything that everybody talked up before the season started. So, some good games though to start the summer showdown. I'm definitely excited, and uh, this has been a a very fun look at at the games coming up, and just a fun you know other than tornadoes I guess going on all around me. Today's been a lot of fun, Lafon. Yeah, it has been a good time. Uh, always good to, to, as I said, talk shop. As I said at the top of the show, so um, it was, it was, it was great to be here. Great to hang out with you uh, in place of Ramsey's. I hope I held my own, as they say. And of course. I mean, it's been an exciting, it's been an exciting couple of weeks in Overwatch. Um, and here's to uh, an exciting a couple of uh, future weeks as well. Hopefully, only in gameplay more than anything else, because uh, I think we've had a lot of. News for a lifetime, so to speak, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, the last few weeks have had some big bomb shells that that were dropped, and we, we don't need more of those. But we are so glad that you were here with us. Uh, we definitely thank you for being here for episode number 108 of Push the Point. And don't forget, the best way that you can help out this show is by sharing it with other Overwatch and Owl fans and by giving us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. It helps out in visibility algorithms and also helps us improve the show because We see what you guys do. We, of course, will read any reviews that we ever get. I didn't check this week uh, because I'm not normally the person who's doing this part of the show. I'm not the one. I'm not usually the one driving. I'm normally doing like LaFon is doing where I'm just reacting or talking about whatever comes up. So be sure to do any of that. Also, be sure to join us in the Mash Those Buttons community on Discord. discord Discord.me slash Mash Those Buttons. It keeps you up to date with all of your favorite shows from the network. A few of it you get to hear about right after we're done. You get to join us for game night as well. I don't know when our July game night is going to be, 
um because we obviously we just did the the previous week the the june one so as soon as i figure that out or find that out i'll let you know uh patreon.com slash smash those buttons to help the network monetarily there's a lot of cool stuff on this network as little as a dollar a month to you and you get access to patreon exclusive content so please please do that um pushpoint pod to follow the show on twitter email us if you would like to do something more long form push the point at gmail.com and follow lafon where? where where can they find you lafon well you can find me at lafon h on twitter and from there the rest of me as well um if you like hearing about coffee and esports and sometimes video games that's uh that's where you'll find me that's what i talk about and uh yeah it's kind of played out sometimes but you know <laughs> that's what the internet is about <laughs> yeah, it's that's kind of the internet in general, right? Is just beating things down into the ground, talking about them, over analyzing them. That's why we do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at Labosco, I guess if you want to see what I'm tweeting, and even though Ramsey's is in here because he's on vacation, at Ramsey's underscore O W to you know maybe see what he's doing. I don't know if he's going to be tweeting out anything while he's out enjoying himself in the world. So thanks again, Lafon, for coming on. It, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's been a funny episode because I literally had tornadoes all around. So it, it's, uh, <laughs> I, this is a weird one as far as recording goes, but it's been a lot of fun, my friend. It was indeed. Stay safe, fam. You know, don't let those tornadoes get you. Um, <laughs> I hear they find you under beds or something. I don't know yeah, where yeah. tornadoes are. So don't take that as actual advice. The, the good thing is, is that, that where I live, there's a basement. So I can always go in there and be safe. Um, those are always the best places or bathrooms is always a good one too. downstairs bathrooms. Obviously, you don't want to be in like an upstairs bathroom. That's like the upstairs is like the worst place to be, which is where I'm at right now. I know. But but the sirens are gone. I don't even know if it's raining anymore. So so we're good now. We're, we're, we're good. But thank you, everyone, for listening. And as always, take care of yourselves and make your community a better place. That is it for episode number 108 of Push the Point, And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at Twitter.com slash The Mash Network, Facebook.com slash Mash Those Buttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash Discord.